Pushkin. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From Pushkin Industries, this is Deep Background, the show where we explore the stories behind the stories in the news. I'm Noah Feldman. One of the important stories that's come out of COVID is the disruption of the global supply chain. If you've recently tried to buy a new car or some furniture, you know all about this problem. The system of making and distributing goods around the world is not working quite the way we're accustomed to it working. And we're not exactly clear on how to fix it. For today's show, we wanted to speak to someone who could explain what's going on to us and deepen our understanding and knowledge of this headline topic, supply chain disruption. I'm very glad to say that our fantastic team here at Deep Background found someone who could do exactly that. Hannah Kane is the founder and CEO of Alum, a global supply chain company based in California. She has decades of experience in supply chain management, and I'm going to talk to her about what's causing supply chain slowdowns, what we should think of the supply chain as actually being, the role that government has to play in this, and how we make our way out of it over time. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. So when we entered this COVID world, many people who were consumers spent exactly zero time ever thinking about the words supply chain. I'm sure if one ran any kind of a company that made a product, these were everyday, day-to-day concerns. But the sense from the end consumer's perspective was, it's all under control, right? We're convinced there are people out there like you who are expert in it, who keep it all flowing, and the rest of us just didn't worry about it very much. Then COVID came, and suddenly everyone noticed that we were interdependent on one another, 
in a very complex set of ways. And then people started using the words supply chain problems to justify almost any change. Was there a particular feature in your view of the COVID disruptions? Are there specific moments or events that you could point to as inherently transformative that sort of put your topic on the the front page? Or was this just a slow, gradual thing that the rest of you were following the entire time and the rest of the world only noticed it because of these events? Well, it's a little bit of both. So for a long time, we have been teetering at the edge of the abyss when it comes to supply chain. And many of us have already raised flags because things like infrastructure has been totally underserved. When you look at at our population growth, we are essentially in the U.S., 33% more population over the last three decades. And we have almost invested in no new infrastructure. And that is a huge problem because we, we know that the demand is going up, but in the end, we need to have the infrastructure to keep up with that. So we knew things like infrastructure was a problem. We also know that regulations are exploding. And when I say regulations, it's things like how do you get um, a product from point A to point B? You've got to get it out of one country into another country. The bureaucracy and the regulations concerning that keep increasing. We are at a trade war with a number of different countries. And that trade war, those trade wars really heavily impact uh, the supply chain. So all of this is not really COVID related. You know, we saw it coming. We've been dealing with it for a long time. Edge of the abyss is a very strong formulation. Um, (laughs) And it's fascinating because, I mean, of course, it's going to lead me to ask you whether we're now in the abyss uh, (laughs) or whether we're still clinging to the edge of it. But before I ask you that, infrastructure, do you mean, give some examples. Do you mean ports where products arrive, roads where things are carried by trucks, railroad? Mm-hmm. What are the features of infrastructure in the U.S. that seem particularly to have been teetering on the edge of the abyss to you? I think ports are a really good example, uh, and that's mainly the seaports. We also have some restrictions on our airports, restrictions on uh, planes, and truck limitations. We certainly have a big crisis when it comes to number of truck drivers. We simply have too few truck drivers. And this already started and had become an issue before COVID. But what happened with COVID was really that all of a sudden we saw a big demand shift. Demand switched to home products, it shift to, shifted to different product types, and, and, and all the travel money went away and instead it was used on uh, getting a new uh, more fancy uh, home television or uh, home setup uh, for your home office etc and all of a sudden that demand shift happened so that was a really big supply chain event uh, that happened in the beginning of the pandemic and then you had the other the other problem was that you had the disruption in the labor and and that was a global issue Uh, So those two issues together made it now extra complex. So if you think back a couple of of years, you could probably do a forecast that was 90% correct. You could probably plan for 90 to 98% of all events that were going to happen. 
And here during COVID, we have been lucky if we have been hitting 50, 60, 70% correct forecast. And then when you look at what does that mean in supply chain, it means that you're buying the wrong thing. I want to talk about the demand shift and I want to talk about the labor disruptions, both of which I think are hugely fascinating and important, and also both of which are relevant to the question of inflation. But I also want to ask you about how unique the United States is with respect to these infrastructure problems. Because in other places in the world that at least I traveled to back when we traveled more, it struck me that at least at a superficial level, the infrastructure seemed much fresher, much newer, and much more updated than in the US. And I don't just mean Western European countries where Americans who are accustomed to traveling to those countries in the last 30 or 40 years are accustomed to seeing the infrastructure as being really superior to US infrastructure, but also in countries that one might have thought of as developing countries, some of which are not so developing anymore and are now pretty developed, but some of which are really still very much developing countries, which still looked like they had newer airports, newer roads. I'm not an expert in seaports, but you could drive by and see large functioning seaports that looked like they were fancier than the ones that we see, at least in the Northeast. Am I right to think that the U.S lagging behind in infrastructure is pretty distinctive? It is. It most definitely is. And certainly, I mean, the physical infrastructure, we are definitely lagging, and especially compared to some of the growing Asian nations. There are some great standouts in Asia where they build infrastructure and in a very impressive manner. China, of course, being one of them, Singapore, Japan to a very large extent. And then there are some countries that are lagging behind. And and we are seeing, as we already pre-pandemic, we saw a shift away from China with shifting productions to a country like Vietnam, where also the infrastructure is, is really lagging and companies have their product get stuck in Vietnam because they cannot get it moved, they cannot get it out of the country. And so it's it's across the board infrastructure really important and it's an important consideration when you design your supply chain, where is the infrastructure that can really help you? Another area where the U.S. is, of course, lacking is in the technology. We are not nearly as advanced as some of the top players within broadband and speed of the networks, and for that matter, coverage in remote areas. So that's another area we need to work on. You mentioned the regulatory barriers to smooth supply chain operation. The trade wars I sort of can account for. I personally don't believe they're rational. I don't think they're helping for the most part, at least in the United States and the trade wars that we've started in recent years. But at least I can understand where they come from, right? There's a domestic sentiment that says we're getting taken advantage of by other countries. There are interests domestically that imagine that it will lead to more U.S. jobs. There's not a lot of evidence that that always happens, but at least you can understand the impulse. But what about the other kinds of regulatory barriers that you mentioned? I mean, what's in it for the regulators? Who is asking for greater regulatory intervention in ordinary effective trade? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. California decided that in order to get products from the ports and into the country, you use something called drayage. Those drayage trucks have traditionally been the most polluting trucks on the road. And California decided that you cannot use trucks that are older than year 2011 to move products from the ports. And 
that regulation then meant that many of the truckers simply could not do it, could not move that product. And so that's you know, a small part of the port crisis, but certainly it happens. And I think we all have the sympathy for the environmental regulations that we don't want polluting trucks out there. But this is an example of where where the balance may shift and it may become more difficult. Another type of regulation is corporate social responsibility, where you can say child labor, we don't want any child labor or other human rights abuses in the supply chain. And that then creates some intricacies in where you place the supply chain and how you are able to monitor it. There's a lot of regulations that are very important in many ways, but certainly they impact the supply chain. We'll be right back. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hannah, you spoke of the demand shift that happened at COVID when suddenly consumers didn't want to buy the same things they previously wanted to buy. 
I recognize that that can cause problems for the supply chain if I'm running a company and I suddenly need some product that I didn't otherwise have and I, or I need more of something that I had a little bit of. Is it fundamentally a supply chain problem though or is that fundamentally just the kind of economic problem that sometimes arises, right? I mean, if we said that there's a change in supply of a product or a change in demand of a product, those seem to be underlying economic forces that they impinge on the supply chain, but they don't seem to be answerable, as it were, just via the supply chain. Well, it certainly becomes a supply chain problem, right? Because you need to be able to produce what the consumer wants. In the end, that's what it's about, is producing what is needed and getting it to the location where it's needed. And so when we saw the demand shift, of course, companies have to respond. And it creates a lot of problems when we have these big swings, as we saw. The swings are becoming bigger over time. And it's a very interesting thing. I think social media is driving a lot of the demand shifts that many people go and, and buy what others seem to be buying. And so you get these big shifts. And of course, then they need to be produced. What also has happened over time is that we as consumers have gotten really spoiled when we get it in any type, configuration, color, etc. that we want. And one of the ways companies have tried to minimize complexity and focus on at least getting uh, product out in the supply chain is to cut down on the number of selections. And you see that a little bit when you're out shopping, that there's a little bit less selection these days than there used to be. Not that we're suffering any big hardships, but it's a good way to decrease the complexity. And complexity is really a big issue in supply chain right now, both because the systems cannot handle it and because there's so many unexpected events. And supply chain professionals are juggling all these balls in the air because of those shifts. The complexity also seems to be part of our current moment of consumerism, where I not only understand that if I go to the shop, the product that I want may exist in 10 colors, but I expect it to exist in those colors as well. And that's sort of what keeps me buying in some sense, at least at the low end of expenses. But when you gave that answer, which is totally fascinating to me, I had this feeling that maybe people are using the word supply chain as kind of an excuse, a kind of catch-all excuse that at least for some consumers, I think I include, I include myself here, might be misleading. So, you know, it's been COVID. I've been sitting on my couch a lot. My couch isn't very good. It's time for a new couch. So I go, this actually happened to me recently. I go shopping for the couch and they say, oh, for that couch, the wait will be, you know, nine months. And I say, well, oh my goodness, that seems like a long time to wait for the couch. And they say, well, supply chain. Then they also say, but actually there is one color. And if you get that couch in this one color, we actually do have those. And those are in the warehouse and, and you can get those. Now, I guess it is a supply chain question. You're convincing me that everything is a supply chain question because <laughs> if they have something in the warehouse and I can get it, that means the supply chain has, has sent it here and it's, it's functioned correctly. And if I'm willing to buy the product, you know, even if it's not the color that I would have first chosen, pretty good, right? It's a pretty good outcome. The year wait for the sofa or the couch and the color that I would have wanted seems to be that they're using the word supply chain as a shorthand for, we had no idea so many people were going to want to buy sofas. And so it takes a while to make the new sofas. And we also have to hire people. You spoke about labor. We have to hire people in the factory, wherever that is, 
to build these sofas. And we need to hire truckers so that the sofa can be transported. And if it's coming internationally, it has to come in through a port. But they're using supply chain effectively as a grab bag to mean all of those things. And I think to many consumers, at least to myself, it sounds like they're saying, oh, it just takes a long time for it to get here or something like that. Or, you know, there was a particular part of the fabric that we can't get enough of because people want that. But the reality seems to be that they just didn't anticipate that there would be the kind of demand that there is. And they can't be blamed for that. I mean, no one could have anticipated that we would all spend such a higher percentage of our days sitting on our couch than we previously did. But it sounds like the words supply chain are covering many, many different causes of delays. That is correct. And that's because, again, the supply chain is ultra complex and there are many different places where you can have and currently you have delays in the supply chain. And so what supply chain professionals do is they try to work around these delays and try to circumvent them, but you can only do so much. If we step back and look at this over a long time and sort of from a more macroeconomic standpoint, what has happened over the last 30 years is we have driven cost of manufactured goods down and down and down. So it's now cheaper than ever to buy a thing. And that's overall a good thing. The downside that we are seeing now is as we are producing cheap things in cheap countries and cheaper countries and driving down the manufactured cost, we are increasing the risk and we are also increasing the supply chain cost, the supply chain cost of transportation and customs clearance and all of those type of things and, and governance for that matter. So that's what we're seeing right now, an explosion in those costs. It's not really that the things are getting much more expensive to manufacture. It's all the extra supply chain costs. And we are seeing the increased problems in managing that complexity. So I'm sorry you have to wait for your sofa. I, I, I can't help you get it there no, I just I just took the one color they had in stock because I didn't <laughs> want to wait a year for a sofa. You know, I was a good soldier, at least with respect to that decision. Um, labor. So labor cost is obviously an important part of making anything and an important part of transporting anything. And as you mentioned, manufacturing costs have been going down. And some of that is by pushing down wages in some places and times, but more of it is by gaining efficiencies from other aspects. Right now, at least in the United States, the cost of labor is very high for complex reasons that no one fully understands that that have to do with people coming back from COVID and deciding they're not going back to the jobs they were in before. and they, they don't wish to participate in the official economy in that way. When you think about labor and its relationship to the supply chain, how do you think of that? I think it's across the board. So we already, uh, as I mentioned, have a labor crisis, ongoing labor crisis in trucking. Trucking has been an area where we have seen a lot of retirements and not a lot of new people coming in. And so that has been a big concern for a while and been talked about for a while. But you're right, what we're seeing right now is an emotional shift where everybody's asking themselves whether they're working the right job and whether they want to do something different. And it's certainly impacting the supply chain big time. You're also seeing um, an increased need for staff in the supply chain. So uh, a lot of the 
workforce have shifted from retail to supply chain. So we're buying more and more online. We're getting more and more shipped to our homes. So people move from retail into warehouses. There's a big move to automate much of what's going on in the supply chain. Um, but there's still we still need labor. And so I am very concerned about the inflation that we're seeing and the inflationary pressures coming from the labor, as well as inflation for materials and components coming in, and for that matter, finished goods. So the cost is just going up tremendously. I think we are going to see the supply chain crisis continuing for another several years. And I think supply chain issues are going to stick with us for a while until we get the infrastructure fixed, until we get more automation in the supply chain, until we get better systems to be able to handle with all the exceptions that we deal with in supply chain. So definitely a lot of big investments need to happen and development needs to happen before we are in a position where we can say supply chain is just humming along. So what I'm hearing you saying is that the process of not only manufacturing, but of delivering things is a process that is still very human intensive, right? Maybe someday we'll have automated trucks, but we don't have automated trucks. Maybe someday we'll have a way in a fully automated fashion to take the products off the ship at the port and put it onto the trucks or the trains and get it from place to place. We don't. We still require human beings to participate in this. So I guess the question I want to end with is, when you say, you know, well, we need more automation in this space, how fast can that happen? And how good will that be? Are these jobs that can be replaced by automation as opposed to by humans, at least in the foreseeable future? And will that lead to the opposite effect, an effect where many, many people whose jobs depend on being the human beings who operate the supply chain find themselves desperately needing some other kind of work, much as we've seen in manufacturing? where many relatively good blue-collar jobs went away, and to the extent they're replaced, they're replaced by much less appealing service sector jobs. I mean, is it basically the case that that's going to happen in, elsewhere in the supply chain as well? It just hasn't happened yet. I, I am a firm believer that automation is not a bad deal and that uh, it's all about how we transition the workforce. I don't see right now that we're going to have a surplus workforce. I see that we are very much in need of more workforce. And I think that trend is going to stay with us for a long time. And the other thing we can do, apart from, of course, automation, is to go in and say, maybe we can do more near sourcing and not have to transport products so far distances. We're seeing that right now corporations are coming in and saying, okay, we have so much cost in transporting all these goods around. Maybe we can buy some of them locally where we need them and closer to the market. And so that's called near sourcing and and a really strong strategy from a sustainability standpoint, but also it takes risk down. Uh, the closer you are, to, the less the less can go wrong in the supply chain. And so that may be a possible opportunity for small and mid-sized companies also to come in and play a stronger role in the supply chain. So there's a, lots of good things that can come out of this as corporations are re-evaluating their supply chains. 
And I want to thank you so much for educating me and our listeners and for the fascinating and important work that you do. And I guess I want to apologize on behalf of all of us for not paying enough attention to the significance and importance of supply chain affairs until suddenly we experience disruptions. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Talking to Hannah Kane brought home some reality to me that I truly did not anticipate before speaking to her. Maybe like a lot of you, I've mostly taken the excuse, supply chain delays, to be a reasonable explanation of the difficulty in getting goods to market in the time of COVID. But as Hannah argued, we were on the edge of the abyss, her striking phrase, even before COVID happened. In other words, the global supply chain was already extraordinarily delicate. And as population grew, regulation, not only the good kind, but also the kind that comes with trade wars, was increased. And 
as our infrastructure, above all, continued to degrade in the United States, we were already, without quite knowing it, in a position where the slightest disruption to our regular economy could really break the supply chain in a range of ways. At the same time, just-in-time servicing had made us expect to get things when we wanted them, how we wanted them, in a way that was probably ultimately unsustainable. It follows from this that the major shifts of the pandemic, the demand shift, the labor shift, and other challenges, were just really the straw that broke the camel's back, albeit a rather large bale of straw. That means, according to Hannah, that we're not going to see a rapid turnaround or a set of improvements in the global supply chain just because things begin to get back to a new normal post-COVID. Instead, we're going to have to actually build better infrastructure. We're going to have to engage in a rationalization of our trade policies, if and when that actually happens. We're going to have to develop norms appropriate to a consumer economy where we can't always expect to get everything we want magically when we want it. And most troublingly, according to Hannah, we also need substantial automation through the supply chain. As you heard, that's a little worrisome because the kinds of jobs that the supply chain historically supported in transport were at least sometimes relatively good blue-collar jobs, many times unionized jobs. If those are going to go away as part of the rationalization of the supply chain, it means further problems of the kind we're already familiar with as manufacturing jobs have gone away. That means that making the global supply chain hum again is going to have distributive effects in our real economy, distributive effects that we have to develop good policy solutions to address in a manner that is fair and just. Regular listeners of this podcast know that I am no MBA, and I have the feeling that my ignorance of the everyday processes of how a business transports things around the world was particularly in evidence today. But maybe for that reason, I found this conversation especially powerful and especially illuminating. And I certainly appreciated Hannah Kane's extreme clarity of analysis and purpose. Until the next time I speak to you, breathe deep, think deep thoughts, and have a little fun. If you're a regular listener, you know I love communicating with you here on Deep Background. I also really want that communication to run both ways. I want to know what you think are the most important stories of the moment and what kinds of guests you think it would be useful to hear from more. So I'm opening a new channel of communication. To access it, just go to my website, noah-feldman.com. You can sign up for my newsletter and you can tell me exactly what's on your mind. Something that would be really valuable to me and I hope to you too. Deep Background is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our producer is Mo Laborde. Our engineer is Ben Tolliday, and our showrunner is Sophie Crane McKibben. Editorial support from Noam Osband. Theme music by Luis Guerra. At Pushkin, thanks to Mia Lobel, Julia Barton, Lydia Jean Cott, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Maggie Taylor, Eric Sandler, and Jacob Weisberg. You can find me on Twitter at Noah R. Feldman. I also write a column for Bloomberg Opinion, which you can find at Bloomberg.com Feldman. To discover Bloomberg's original slate of podcasts, go to Bloomberg.com podcasts. And if you liked what you heard today, please write a review or tell a friend. This is Deep Background. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.